Well, good morning, church family, and grace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as you've noticed, it is our quarterly observance of the Lord's Supper this morning. And I'm so excited this fell on Thanksgiving weekend. So a few days ago, our natural families gathered together, expressed our gratitude to God for all of the good we've received, and then shared a meal. And now on Sunday morning, we get to gather with our spiritual family, and we get to celebrate another Thanksgiving meal. In fact, in some traditions, the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word eucharisteo, which means, I give thanks. And so the Lord's Supper is also a Thanksgiving meal. If you've not been here before for one of these quarterly uh, Lord's Supper observances, you are going to notice that things kind of unfold a bit differently. Normally, we would spend the first uh, half hour of our service with hymns and scripture readings and prayers, things like this. And then the second half would be devoted to my sermon. But for our quarterly communion observances, I break my sermon up into parts, and I deliver those parts throughout the hour. And then those parts of my sermon will be punctuated with hymns in response to God's Word. So it's just going to feel a little bit uh, different this morning. And then, of course, the climax of the service will be at the very end as we partake of the elements together. And if you're wondering whether you ought to partake of the bread and the juice when it is passed around, the Scriptures are very clear on this. The Scriptures teach that the Lord's Supper is for disciples of Christ. It signifies our ongoing communion with Christ and with his church. And so, if you count yourself among Christ's disciples, meaning that you have come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, if you are seeking to live in obedience to his word, then we invite you to partake with us this morning, uh, whether or not you're a member yet of Grace Baptist Church. However, if you are not yet one of Christ's disciples, because perhaps you're still considering the claims of Christ, then we would invite you to simply allow the plates to pass as the disciples around you partake. And understand, nobody will look down upon you for doing that. In fact, we will be grateful to you for honoring the Word of God and for respecting the traditions of the church. If you will be partaking, but you're not exactly sure how uh, this is going to work, just follow my lead and everything will go, will go just fine. All right, with those preliminaries out of the way, I'd like to offer a word of prayer, and then we will jump into our scripture text. Let's bow together. Our Lord, we are so thankful for this Thanksgiving holiday. We thank you for the opportunity we were given to gather with our families, to share good food together, to remember all of the things that we have to be grateful for. And we thank you now for the opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper, another Thanksgiving meal. And I pray, Lord, that you would work this, this communion meal into our hearts, Lord, that you would use it to draw us closer to your Son, that you would use this to deepen our commitment to him and to one another as fellow believers in Christ. And we pray that you would be glorified through this time spent together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and now turning to the scriptures together, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles 
and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 together. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 974. I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll consider them. Here's what the Word of God says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, friends, what we have in these two verses is just a simple summary of the gospel message, which is the good news of what God has done for us through Christ. And this passage tells us everything we need to know about the gospel, including the timing with which God acted. If you look at the start of verse 4, it tells us when precisely God gave us Christ. It says, when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of time had come. If I could paraphrase that, it simply means at the exact moment of God's choosing, when God had determined that it was the right moment to send us Christ, that's when he did it. And friends, this is such a comforting statement, isn't it? Because it means that our universe does not move by chance and random mutation. There are no random events in the universe. Rather, this universe was created by God himself. He fashioned every last detail of it. And all of history is moving forward in precise alignment with God's own purposes. God does not react to world events. God is the prime mover of human events. This is why God says to us in Isaiah chapter 46 that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things not yet done, saying my purposes will stand and I shall accomplish all my good pleasure. You see, history moves forward precisely according to the plans and purposes of of God. God is the great potentate of time, and at the exact moment that he chose, God determined to fulfill his promise in sending to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that long delay in Christ's coming, that delay from Genesis 3 when God made the promise of Christ to Matthew chapter 1 when he finally came, that delay was owing to nothing except the fact that God was arranging the world, setting the stage, as it were, so that his perfect moment could come. And friends, looking at history, we can see that the time that Christ came was indeed the perfect time. No better time in world history for Christ to be sent to us. See, at the time that Christ was born, the Roman Empire was the world's great superpower. And this superpower touched three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. The whole world, practically, under the domain of one government. And it was just the right moment in the history of the Roman Empire. It was at a time that we call the, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Christ 
was sent into the world at a time when all of the wars that Rome had formerly been engaged in were over. There was tranquility throughout the empire. It was also a time in which everyone in the civilized world was speaking the same language, the Greek language, so that messages could travel quickly from one people to another. The Romans had also built a system of roads all over their empire so that messages could, could travel quickly. From Asia to Europe, a message could go. Friends, it truly was just the right time for Messiah to come. The time of God's choosing. The fullness of time. And let's sing of this great truth together now. Let's sing of the fact that God is sovereign over our lives, over time itself. Hymn number 677. All right, so Galatians 4 teaches us that God sent Christ at precisely the right time. Now as our passage continues, we learn what precisely God did when He sent Christ and then how He did it. Let's continue on with verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, here's what God did. He sent forth his son. He sent forth his son. So Christ, the man that God had appointed to be our Savior, this man was none other than the eternal Son of God. This is a truly remarkable fact, and it deserves to be unpacked. You understand, my friends, that there is only one living and true God. Only one. And yet, within this one God, there is a trinity of persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the prime being. The Son is the eternally begotten of His Father. The Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from Father and Son, but three persons, one God. And friends, our, God's plan for our salvation was to come to this earth Himself through His eternal Son. You see, the problem was ultimately between us and God. Our sins were against Him. The, the enmity was with Him. God Himself needed to come to make things right. That's what the Gospel teaches us He did. God came to us through His Son, and this is why we call the Son of God Emmanuel. That means God with us. And you'll notice how God sent him into the world. Verse 4 says, God sent forth his Son, born of woman. This is the miracle of the incarnation. It comes from the Latin word carnem, which means flesh. God sent His Son into the world to dwell with us by giving to His Son human flesh. Friends, this was the only way that it could have happened. For Christ to become our Savior, 
He needed to be God because the offense was against God. But he also needed to be truly man. If he was going to represent our case to God, he would have to be one of us. This is the only way that it could have been done for our salvation to be secured. He had to be truly God and truly man. But how is such a thing possible? How can one person, the Son of God, bear these these two natures or carry these two natures? Well, friends, it's a mystery beyond any of our comprehension, though the Scriptures do give us a couple of passages to, to help us at least understand it to a degree. In Luke chapter 2, for example, an angel helps us understand. He speaks to the Virgin Mary and he says this to her. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so the angel explained to the Virgin Mary that this is how it would work. God, the Holy Spirit, would come upon the Virgin Mary. And you notice at this point that all three persons of our triune God were involved in the coming of Christ. God sent him, the Spirit made it happen, and the Son was the one who came. Our triune God was all involved in our salvation. But the Holy Spirit would come upon the Virgin Mary. He would take 23 chromosomes from her body. He would add to it 23 chromosomes of his own creation, bring them together into a complete human nature, and then that human nature would be fused with the eternal Son of God, so that this, this being, this being inside of the womb of the Virgin Mary, would be truly God and truly man. Another important passage is Philippians chapter 2, which says, Though he, Christ, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Theology, we call this the kenosis, the self-emptying of Christ. You see, from all eternity, the Son of God was robed in splendor. He was the joy of heaven. But because of His love for His Father and for us, He decided not to hang on to that glorious state. So He came to earth. He set aside His divine prerogatives hid His glory, put on human flesh, and dwelt among us. This is what Christ did. Friends, can you imagine being Joseph and Mary and looking into the eyes of your baby, seeing this helpless little child before you, but also realizing that this is the one who, who flung the stars into the night sky? This, this little baby was the eternal Son of God himself. Friends, this is what God did for us when the time was exactly right. He sent to us Christ, and Christ was His very own Son, born of the Virgin Mary. And then it says next, born under the law. Born under the law. This speaks to our Lord's subjugation. 
See, when the Son of God consented to take upon Himself human flesh and to live among us, He was also consenting to live in subjection to God's perfect law, just like the rest of humanity. And so He was placed under God's perfect, immutable standard of righteousness, and He was responsible to keep every detail of God's law just as we are. And on top of that, He had to keep all of the requirements placed upon Him because uh, by virtue of his office as Messiah. So he had to live a life of perfect obedience to God, and he also had to preach every sermon, perform every miracle, do every task that was required of Messiah, including going to the cross where he would die for our sins. Friends, Christ did all of this. He did all of this. With absolute perfection. He lived under God's law without sinning even once. He accepted all of the demands placed upon him as Messiah, performed every miracle, fulfilled every prophecy, delivered every message that he was called to give. He even went to the cross where he gave up his life for our sakes. And friends, he did this under the most withering temptations. Right at the start of his ministry, you'll recall, right after he was baptized, he went out into the wilderness for an extended period of fasting and prayer. And there at the end of it, when he was at his weakest point, the devil came and tried to tempt him to give up his work as the Christ. He resisted that temptation. And then at the end of his ministry, as he hung upon the cross, the jeering mob shouted at him, If you are who you say you are, let yourself down. Prove to us you're the Christ. But of course, if he was truly the Christ, then he would have to stay on that cross. He would have to be obedient to the point of death. And this he did. My friends, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman and born under the law. That means that our sovereign Lord, at the, at the, the moment of his choosing, sent Christ into the world for us. And that this Christ, this promised Messiah, this one that the people of God had been longing for generation after generation, he was none other than God's own Son. God himself was entering the world through his Son. Born of the Virgin Mary. Born under God's law. And yet perfectly fulfilled God's law, something that none of us could do, being sinners as we are, completely fulfilling God's law, being obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Let's sing of the cross together now, hymn number 317. So at just the right time, God the Father sent His Son into the world. This was achieved by giving to the Son a complete human nature, 
which he added to the divine nature in the miracle of the Incarnation. He was born of the Virgin Mary, and then he dwelt among us. And as the Messiah, he was placed under the perfect standard of God's law, which he kept perfectly. And this, and uh, looking at the next verse, we see why God did all of this for us. Verse 5 says, He did it to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Friends, you understand what the word redeem means. It means to, to buy back or to reclaim something. And the implication here is that we were in bondage, or we were lost or enslaved. Through Christ, we were released from that enslavement. Friends, this is exactly what the Scriptures teach. That we were enslaved by our own transgressions and sins. Bound and held captive by the devil himself. Separated from God and the life that he offers. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 says, God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. The thought here is that when God created the human race, He created it in holiness. But through our own voluntary transgression of God's law, we plunged ourselves under the burden of sin. And Romans 3.23 says that we are all guilty. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death. This is the plight of the human race. To be creations of God, made in His image, possessing great dignity. But to also be in a fallen state. To be not what we were created to be. To be a people separated from God under the dominion of the devil, plagued with a sinful nature. Friends, every one of us struggles every day with that sin nature. Even the great Apostle Paul said, there are things that I wish I would do that I just can't bring myself to do, other things I wish I would stop doing that I keep on doing. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? But then... The declaration, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, through Christ, we are released from that bondage. The wages of sin are paid for us by Christ. Friends, that's what the cross of Christ was all about. That's why God sent His Son into the world to go to the cross. Because at the cross, Christ would voluntarily take upon Himself the wages of our sins. All of the judgment that sin deserves, he volunteered to bear it himself. And you know, he was qualified to do that precisely because he was true God and true man. Our sin was against God. God would have to be the one to settle that. And so Christ came as the Son of God and settled it for us. Beyond that, as God, he was a man of infinite worth. His one death could satisfy all of us all of our sin debts. But then as a man, he could stand in the place of men. 
He could be our representative. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. But then He adds this additional detail. It says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So friends, God didn't just buy us out of our enslavement to sin. He didn't just rescue us from the domain of darkness. But he even welcomed us into his own household. He took us who were his enemies and made us his children. And he gave us an inheritance as his children. The kingdom of God. Friends, this is the great blessing of the gospel. And in fact, this is the gospel message. That God has found a way to destroy our sin without destroying us. He did it by sending His Son to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, and then to rise in victory. But now, friends, the question is, how does that gift of God become ours? How do we appropriate the life that God gives? Well, the Scriptures tell us that comes through repentant faith. Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe the gospel. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Friends, it's as easy as that. God has done all the work for us through Christ. All that is necessary now for us to have that sin record wiped away, to have the wages of it paid, to be reconciled to the God who made us, all that's required is to receive His gift in repentant faith. To turn away from our life without God. To turn away from our sins. To turn with a whole heart toward Him. To trust in Him. To believe in Him and in the all-sufficiency of Christ's work on our behalf. That is all that's required. But understand that doing so does change your life forever. It's a simple act, but it's also a life-changing act. The scriptures say when we do this, we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. The scriptures say we are born again, born to a new kind of life. Your whole life will be different afterwards. Those of you who have already Come to Christ in faith. Know this to be the case. You know who you were before Christ, and you know who you are now. You know the difference that the gospel makes. Friends, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, what we are doing is celebrating the gospel message. We are giving thanks to God for Christ You see, the bread in this supper represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And the juice that we'll drink together, this represents the blood of Christ, which was poured out for our sakes. 
And by partaking of these two elements together, we are signifying that we have received Christ spiritually in repentance and faith. And by ingesting the elements, we signify that Christ has truly become a part of us now and that we are a part of Him. We are His body now. This is what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's a supper of thanksgiving for Christ, for His life, His death, and His resurrection. Now let's sing of these great gospel blessings together, and then we'll partake of the elements. And as the ushers come forward, just a couple of words before we partake. We'll begin by handing out the bread. As you receive yours, we'll ask you to hold on to it. I'll say a few words, and then we'll all partake together. And then we'll follow the same practice with the juice. We are one church family, and we want to show our spiritual unity by eating and drinking this meal together. Well, turning to the scriptures now, they tell us that on the very night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took some bread, and then he gave thanks. So I'd like to ask God if you would please give thanks for the bread before us. Lord, thank you so much for gathering us together today as we remember all you've done for us as lowly people who were slaves to this world and our desires and pleasures in it. Give us eyes that look forward to you and your kingdom and help us to not be distracted by this world. Thank you so much, Lord, for taking the punishment for our sins and paying the debt that we cannot bear. Help us to be a light in this world of darkness. Bless this bread as we remember you. In your name, amen. Jesus broke the bread and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then the scriptures say that in the same way, our Lord took the cup also and gave thanks. So I'd like to ask Matt Domzik if you would take the microphone, please, and give thanks the cup that's before us. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for our opportunity to reflect on 
your sacrifice for us. We thank you for the victory over sin that you secured for those that place their faith in you. Lord, we thank you for and glory in the love that you show to us. We praise you, and we ask that you would help us to remain faithful and steadfast to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus lifted the cup and said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then at the conclusion, our Lord said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. And to this all God's people say, Amen. <laughs> 